I am Angus Kebble, and welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Key areas of focus are industry analysis with key stakeholders, policy makers, engagement with farmers and producers, and working to close the rural-urban divide. Farmers work hard. They love the land and are a critical part of New Zealand's fabric. There are many things for farmers to think about, whether it be drought, market conditions and farm gate returns, and the increased pressure from the public or policymakers. Working with Postquake Farming, we are taking a look at what farmers are doing to improve their businesses, their biodiversity, their land use and their well-being. Before we get into this week's episode, let's take a look at the beef and lamb market. As we get into spring mode, we have our seasonally low beef kill, which is producing a good amount of procurement competition in both islands and lifting slaughter prices. This time of year, we start to see local trade prices become more competitive and export operators, in order to compete for product, need to increase their prices accordingly. Even though we are starting to see upward pressure on farm gate returns because of low volumes coming through, the beef export markets are not showing any significant changes to demand which puts pressure on processor margins. However, manufacturing beef sales into the US have remained upbeat. This is based on only small volumes offered out of either New Zealand or Australia. Some of the higher value prime cuts are selling well enough too. But secondary beef cuts, particularly those from bulls and cows, are quite difficult to sell. Huge shipments of beef are being made into China from South America, which is limiting interest in New Zealand product. The domestic lamb markets have tracked sideways lately, with export margins remaining relatively low. And processors don't want to engage into product wars, only to have to reduce prices once the new season slaughter gets underway. Only limited numbers of store lambs are moving. Ewes with lambs at foot are starting to sell and fetching around the $100 mark. Lamb export markets remain volatile for the low volumes being traded. While some cuts continue to make more than usual, key stakeholders are on tender hooks as to how well the markets will hold up once the new production season starts. The EU and UK are the better performing markets. The US and China markets are seeing continued headwinds as COVID-19 challenges remain relevant. The environment has a significant impact on farming and rural communities. And as our environment changes, farmers are increasingly at risk of the impacts that this change brings. This week, I wrap up my discussions around climate change and what that means for farmers into the future with Petra Pierce from NIWA. Let's check in with Petra. Hello Petra, thank you for joining me again this week. Kia ora Angus, it's great to be back again. For those that missed last week, please tell me about the work you do. So I'm a climate scientist at NIWA, which is the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research. I have experience in providing climate change information to the likes of regional councils and businesses and communicating what climate change may mean for different parts of the country and different sectors. Today we're looking at a couple of New Zealand's farming regions that we have not yet discussed. Last week we looked at the Manawatu. Let's start off today with Taranaki and Waikato. Where do these northwestern areas probably get their weather from? So um, I'll start with Taranaki. So it's obviously situated right on the west coast. Um, so typically gets its weather from the westerly quarter, which is that's northwest um, through to southwest. Um, it's pretty sheltered from the east by the North Island landmass, so um, it's less likely to get rainfall from um, the easterly quarter. Um, so yeah, it does it does get a reasonable amount of its of its kind of active weather from the Tasman Sea. Um, and Taranaki is one of the regions in New Zealand where we see the most tornadoes happen. Um, 
in the country. And so that's that's quite an interesting um, little snippet of information about Taranaki. Um, yeah. So, in terms of the Waikato, it's a bit different. Obviously, it spans from um, from west to east, and, and has quite a chunk of the region in the middle of the North Island. So, um, some of the region, like Taranaki, is exposed to the west. So, the areas around Raglan and and Port Waikato and Waitomo district. Um, so, they have that that kind of similar western um, westerly quarter um, exposure. Uh, the middle of the region around Hamilton and, and South Waikato is, is relatively sheltered um, by the hill country on each side, um, particularly from the, the east uh, by the Kaimai Mamaku Ranges that kind of border the Bay of Plenty. Um, and then on the, the eastern side, we have the Coromandel Peninsula, which is um, very exposed to the northeast. So um, when we have a northeasterly uh, storm or, or airflow that's usually quite a moist um, warm airflow that's coming from the tropics or the subtropics and so that's the kind of weather that sees really high rainfall totals and flooding in that area and the Coromandel um, because it's very hilly um, and mountainous it kind of cops the flack of, of that of that um, kind of airstream. Have we seen any changes in rainfall and sunshine hours across these regions over the past 50 or 100 years? Yeah, so there has been an increase in sunshine hours, um, like the rest of the country, for Taranaki and Waikato over the past, about the past 50 years at multiple locations. Um, and as I've said in previous episodes, um, this is uh, due to reduced cloud cover. And we expect to see this trend continue into the future with ongoing climate change as uh, increasing greenhouse gas concentrations in our atmosphere drive changes to our weather patterns and therefore clouds. Um, in terms of rainfall, there aren't any detectable trends in annual rainfall or yearly rainfall um, at the moment, but for seasonal rainfall, we've seen a reduction in spring rainfall for Taupo and winter rainfall has also seen a reduction uh, for New Plymouth. Um, and also in terms of the more um, intense rainfall events for New Plymouth, Hamilton and Taupo, the size of the maximum one day rainfall event per year, so that's kind of the wettest day of the year, has actually gone down since 1960. And um, the percentage of rainfall that falls in heavy rainfall events has decreased at these sites as well. So the, the rainfall is getting a bit more spread out into smaller events um, is what that kind of statistics is. Petra, an area I find really interesting is Northland. When I talk to farmers from that region, they all say it is becoming a very hard place to farm. The region can go from severe drought to severe flooding in a short period of time. Anecdotally, it appears climate change is having quite an impact on this region. Is there any evidence to support that this area is experiencing more extreme weather events? And are there any trends emerging? So yeah, Northland is definitely a region of extremes. Um, we've definitely seen that this year, moving from a severe drought in summer and autumn to very wet conditions and a lot of flooding um, in winter. And unfortunately, this is a sign of the future uh, for this part of the country. Uh, the, the modelling, the climate change modelling that we do here at NIWA um, shows generally less rainfall overall across the year in Northland. Um, so that may mean more severe and long-lasting droughts um, on a more regular basis for, for Northlanders. And uh, winter rainfall in particular may decrease by up to about 20%. Uh, which may cause issues for things like the recharge of aquifers and maintaining river flows and consequently water supply. And particularly if it's going to get drier, that may cause issues for um, the availability of water for irrigation and other, other uses as well. 
And then on the other hand, um, Northland's one of the regions most exposed to ex-tropical cyclones and subtropical storms, which approach from the north, so similar to the Coromandel in that sense. Um, and these storms carry a lot of moisture as they're coming from the tropics, which means they can dump huge amounts of rain in Northland. And that's what we saw in July uh, with the flooding near Whangarei. Uh, in the future, storms are likely to get stronger uh, because a warmer atmosphere can hold more moisture and more energy. So those stronger winds and higher rain rates um, are likely to bring worse impacts uh, for New Zealand. There aren't really any solid trends yet in terms of which way things have been heading in Northland in terms of um, if we're heading towards that drier future yet. Um, but some research by my colleagues here at NIWA has found that climate change has made events, extreme events like the 2013 drought in Northland and the 2014 floods around Kaio more likely. So if you like, climate change is loading the dice for those extreme events. It's making them more likely and when they do happen, it's, it's kind of forcing them towards that more extreme end. If we can move back to the south and to Southland, what can farmers expect there? I would imagine with increased west weather, they are likely to receive increased rainfall and increased wind speeds. Yeah, so it's quite a different story to Northland. Um, it's getting a lot wetter, potentially, um, down in, in Southland and the west coast in particular. So um, because we're uh, expecting to experience increased westerly airflows across the country and particularly in the South Island um, with ongoing warming. And that's because our, our kind of wind flows are, are speeding up with the changes to our temperature across, um, across the world. And so that changes how our weather patterns um, are gonna happen and, and that kind of thing. So um, we have what's called the orographic rainfall effect, which affects um, where we have mountain ranges. So that's why we get a lot of uh, rainfall on the west coast and less rainfall in the, the lee of the mountains um, in central Otago, for example. And because of that increasing westerly airflow, we're going to see an accentuation of that pattern. So we're going to see more rainfall um, on the west coast and in Southland as well. Um, and particularly in the winter season where those westerly winds are going to kind of speed up the most. Um, for winter, uh, in um, the west coast we're potentially uh, likely to experience a, up to about 40 percent more rainfall um, for that region or parts wow. of that region um, under a high-end greenhouse um, gas scenario so um, that's that's a pretty extreme um, scenario but if you can imagine you know it's, it's our wettest part of the country already mm. um, and winter is the wettest time of the year so you know 40 percent more rainfall could um, could cause some quite significant issues in terms of larger floods and and more saturated soils and and um, access you know roading issues and, and all that kind of thing that mm. um, farmers might have to deal with yes certainly some big challenges on the horizon We've discussed many aspects of New Zealand's regions and climate change within each region over the past few weeks. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you very much for your time and sharing Niwa's research. You're welcome. Um, thanks for having me along. It's been great to have a chat and hopefully um, the audience has learnt some things and happy to be here. Thank you to Petra Pierce and Niwa for their vital input on this very important topic. Climate change in New Zealand will probably have the greatest impact on agriculture through changes in climate variability and climate extremes. New Zealand farmers and growers are increasingly required to manage risk associated with climate events, and this will continue into the future with the possibility of increased risk in some regions. 
talking with Petra from Niwa, eastern regions could experience more frequent and potentially more severe droughts through a combination of higher average temperatures, reduced average rainfall and greater variability of rainfall. Western regions and possibly some eastern regions could be more prone to flooding and erosion from high rainfall events. Pasture production will generally increase an extended growing season. There may be a reduction in feed quality in pastures as far south as Waikato with an increased incidence of subtropical species. Feed quality may also decrease further in dry eastern regions with more frequent drought leading to changes in pasture composition. Arable crops may generally benefit from warmer conditions. However, potential yield increases will require higher fertilizer inputs. Availability of water for irrigation will be an important factor to achieve the potential gains, particularly in Canterbury, where there will be increased drought risk. Hayward kiwi fruit may become uneconomic in the Bay of Plenty in the next 50 years under mid to high climate warming scenarios. Although the current industry expectation is that this variety will continue to be its mainstay. Apple production is unlikely to be adversely affected, although there could be a greater risk of heat damage in future and availability of water for irrigation may be an increasingly critical issue. There are a number of unknowns both with regard to basic climate changes and their impact on agriculture. While the existence of human influence on climate and projections of a trend towards higher future temperatures and a shift in rainfall patterns is considered reasonably robust, projections of absolute changes in particular regions are still highly uncertain and are usually considered as a set of scenarios. Within the agriculture sector, uncertainties about the impacts of those changing scenarios particularly relate to changes in pest and disease profiles in different regions, changes in soil fertility and changes in water availability. Technology and improved genetics will play a part in the agri-sector's role in mitigating climate change. As I've talked about over the past few weeks, farmers have come a long way in their practices and the environmental improvements are there. The agri-sector is vital to New Zealand's economy and the demand for food across the globe is only going to increase, so it is important that any methodology that results in lower emissions also maintains or increases productivity. Through improved genetics, there are variations among animals in methane emissions per unit of feed intake, and these variations suggest that there may be heritable differences in methane production. Trials suggest that animal breeding could achieve a 10 to 20% reduction in methane emissions. While breeding for reduced methane emissions may not be compatible with other breeding objectives, breeding for improved feed conversion efficiency or lower net feed intake should be compatible and is likely to reduce methane emissions and the greenhouse gas intensity of animal products. A range of dietary supplements and feed alternatives is being trialled to assess whether they can reduce methane emissions from livestock. Supplements being considered include oils, fats, tannins, probiotics, nitrates, enzymes, marine algae and native vegetation. Methane abatements of 10 to 25% are possible by feeding ruminants dietary oils with 37 to 52% abatement achieved in individual studies, plant secondary compounds 
such as condensed tannins, have been shown to reduce methane production by 13 to 16%, mainly through a direct toxic effect on methogens. However, high condensed tannins concentrations can reduce voluntary feed intake and digestibility, improve forage quality and pasture with lower fiber and higher soluble carbohydrates can reduce methane production in livestock. Being structural fibers, cellulose and hemicellulose ferment more slowly than non-structural carbohydrates and yield more methane per unit of feed digested. Methane emissions are commonly lower with more forage legumes in the diet, partly because of the lower fiber content and a faster rate of digestion and in some cases the presence of condensed tannins. An improved diet increases animal growth and reduces methane production. It has the effect of reducing the greenhouse gas intensity of the animal products. Pasture quality can be improved in several ways, including by plant breeding that use different pathways to capture carbon dioxide, or grazing on less mature pastures. Several alternative plant forages, such as broccoli, leaves, and some native plants have been shown to reduce methane emissions. Improvements will also be made through improved machinery emissions and a reduction in machinery hours needed as farming systems continue to improve and become more efficient. Whilst there are many challenges in front of the farmer, these challenges will be met. We are entering an interesting time. The planet needs to be fed and the farming industry will continue to meet those demands whilst supporting our environment. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.